You're listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. This is the Warrior Priest Podcast, episode 56. And I'm the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. Sorry for the tardiness of this podcast. It's 4.30 in the afternoon when I record it. I usually record earlier, but... I had three-plus hours of training this morning and then went immediately to my brother by another mother, my tattooist Josh at Aloha Monkey Tattoo, shout out to Aloha Monkey, to get some uh, stuff going for my other arm sleeve. And then by the time I got home and got showered and eat, it was, well, 4.40 in the afternoon almost. But today, I wanted to go to someone that I've wanted to read and talk about for a long time on this podcast. And maybe I've mentioned him in the past, but I wanted to devote a whole episode to Kevin Ross and something that Kevin wrote recently, actually, in his blog. And the reason I I respect Kevin so much and I follow him on Instagram and read his blog and his books, by the way, he's got two books out right now. You can buy at his website. I'll post a link to thesoulassassin.com where you can pick up his merchandise, including his two books. But the first book he wrote with another guy that I respect a lot, Johnny Bang Riley. He's a beautiful, beautiful human being, beautiful soul. He's a poet, dancer, performance artist, and many, many other things, actually, philosopher. But Kevin and and Johnny wrote a book called Soul, and then Kevin has another book called Dancing with Sanchai. And I also recommend that you go on YouTube and watch... Kevin Ross fight Sanchai. It's a fantastic fight. Amazing, actually. Highly entertaining. But Kevin is a Muay Thai fighter. And the reason that I follow Kevin, how I found out about him originally, was on the Joe Rogan podcast. And then I dug deeper into him, found out about him, his fight career, started watching his fights. And at least in my opinion, and I think Kevin will back me up on this if he ever listens to it, he emulates Raymond Deckers. And Raymond or Ramon Deckers is my favorite Muay Thai fighter of all time. And I'm fascinated by Raymond Deckers and how he fights and watching his fights. And I see uh, many, many similarities in the way that Kevin fights compared to Raymond. And yet he's still his own man and he expresses that art side of the martial arts in such a way that it's he emulates Deckers, but yet he is still expressing himself as a Muay Thai fighter that is very particular and unique and specific to Kevin and the way that he fights. So that's the first reason that I respect him and follow him. But more importantly than that, for myself anyways, is that, in my opinion, he's a beautiful human being. And if you go watch the Rogan podcast he did back in February or March maybe, He's an amazing thinker. He's articulate. He expresses himself well. He's a humble man. And so for that reason, and and that's the thing for me anyways, I'm drawn to people that are genuine, or at, at the very least are focused on being genuine and authentic and real. And I was just talking with my friend Josh about this, that... When you're real with people and you're honest with people and you're open with people, you never have to wonder where you stand with them. 
they either like you and accept you or they reject you and they don't like you. But you never have to worry about where you stand in relation to other people because you're not trying to be somebody you're not. You're not trying to put a mask on. You're not trying to project what you want to be seen as or you play the part based on what other people want to see you as. You're just yourself and you're real. And like I've said before then, when I read Kevin's comments on social media and his post on Instagram, then I listen to him on podcasts, and then I listen to interviews with him before and after fights. When I read his blog and his books, at least as far as I understand it as much as I can, I think he's a real, authentic, genuine person. What you see is what you get, and if I ever had the pleasure of meeting him someday in person, I fully expect that the person I meet is going to be the person that I read and I listen to and I follow on social media and in podcasts. And for myself, and he was like I said, those are the types of people that I'm drawn to, that I'm attracted to, and that I want to get to know better, whether from a distance through what they write and say or in person. Because at my age, just dated myself there, made myself feel like an old man, but at my age, I've done so much work and put forth so much effort to separate myself and kill the person that I used to be. And a big part of that is putting down the fake person that I used to be, the the person that walked around believing he was a fraud and putting on false airs all the time, wearing a mask all the time, trying to play a role that he thought other people either wanted him to play or the role that I played that I because that's how I wanted other people to see me. And through what through the actions and the choices I've made the last five years in particular, and especially just in the last year, moving into places that I know if I go there, I'm going to be changed, but I don't know what the change is going to be. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what I'm going to look like coming out of the other side of that. But I pray for that, and I hope for that, because I've dedicated my life to putting myself in uncomfortable situations in order to become comfortable. And as soon as I become comfortable with that situation, I'm moving forward to the next uncomfortable situation, the next challenge, the next struggle. And sometimes it's cost me physically, sometimes it's cost me emotionally and intellectually, sometimes it's cost me spiritually. But always, on the other side of whatever unknown I'm entering into in search of some greater perspective, some greater knowledge about myself, about myself in relation to other people and the world and reality. Because at the end of the day, the reason that I'm drawn to people like Kevin is because I think what we're after in opposition to a vast majority of the population is simple reality about ourselves, but about all of reality. And we're never satisfied with good enough for that reason. Because good enough is the comfort zone. And like the cliche says, you know, your comfort zones where you die. It's entropy. It's apathy. It's good enough. And then you just sit around and you wait for somebody to tell you what to do. And you obey without thinking, without questioning. So today, because of COVID, because of the riots, because NASA said that they have an alien cube coming out of the sun now, which as a complete aside, go check out Project Bluebeam. Look up Project Bluebeam, this conspiracy theory. It's a crazy, nut, wacky conspiracy theory that couldn't happen in a million years 
And yet, within the last 48 hours, I'm sitting there looking at these news stories coming out of the Pentagon, coming from NASA, and saying, this is like Project Bluebeam. Like, they can't possibly, the government can't possibly think that we're going to fall for something as ludicrous as Project Bluebeam. And yet, I keep seeing news articles <laughs> about aliens and alien spacecraft and what NASA's seeing. But go check out Project Bluebeam. If, just for a laugh, go check it out. But just, again, it's the question of, conspiracy fact versus conspiracy theory, and at least for myself, asking the question, why? Who benefits from this coming out or this piece of news being you know, released or this piece of data being revealed or this conspiracy theory is proven too true or this conspiracy theory is too crazy to ever be true? Who benefits from, from myself, for example, believing a conspiracy theory? Is it me? Is it other people? Who benefits from me wearing a mask and being afraid of getting sick so I avoid being around other people. Who benefits from that? Is it me? Is it, pop is it society? Is it a governmental entity? Is it the corporations? All of that to me is when someone says, you need to wear masks, my question is why? Not that I'm against it, but I want to know why. I want to know the justification. I want to hear the logic of this. Explain it to me. Show me the data. Show me the science. Show me multiple sets of data. Show me the opinions of multiple specialists, multiple doctors. I've checked with epidemiologists, virologists, ER nurses, ICU nurses, general practice people, and asked them all the same question. What do you think? What's your professional opinion? What's your educated opinion about COVID or masks or vaccinations or schools being open versus closed? This conspiracy about a worldwide pedophile ring or this conspiracy about a false flag event where aliens land and, and that's a cover for martial law. I mean, every time I think to myself, at least nowadays, well, that's too crazy to be true. Something comes out of the news and I sit back and go, well, there it is. I guess it's not. It's like I just said to my friend Ed, you don't have to do drugs nowadays because reality seems to be drugs. It seems like just reality is psychedelics. But that's a rabbit trail, and I apologize. <laughs> I'm really, really tired and fatigued. It was a rough morning. Very humid where I'm at, very hot, and I lost an immense amount of liquid today. So please bear with me. And coming back around to Kevin Ross, I'm going to read a blog he wrote, and it's simply entitled Perspective. And I think it's very appropriate, though, for what's happening in the United States, at least right now, and probably where you're at, my wife has been questioned twice in two different stores for not wearing a mask. She has a medical, a legit medical condition and can't wear masks. But yet people are challenging her. They're not asking questions. They're not asking, why are you not wearing a mask? They're just telling her, put on a mask. And when she says, I have a medical condition, they look at her skeptically. When she went and got her hair done yesterday, she mentioned that her ears have been giving her problems lately. She has an inner ear disease. And she loses her equilibrium. She can't drive on some days. So she announced in the beauty parlor that she was sick and couldn't drive yesterday. And everyone in the beauty parlor, not making this up, everyone turned and looked at her because she said the word sick. That's where we're at. And if you go online, it's so vitriolic. And people are hurling facts back and forth and calling each other sheeple, challenging each other, condemning each other all the time. And it's so ugly and so divisive. And again, I, I ask the question, who benefits from us being so divided? Who benefits from us being afraid to even say the word sick when we're around other people? Who benefits from this? 
because I don't think we're asking that question. And I think as a consequence, we're seeing what we're seeing now with people questioning each other, challenging each other. A man was shot in Detroit yesterday for holding a pro-Trump sign up. He was shot to death for holding a a pro-Trump sign up. A black man. Why? Why did he have to be shot? Why did he have to die? Simply because he votes for the guy that you don't like. Why are we at that place? Who benefits? Who benefits from his death? So this is Kevin. And again, shout out to Kevin if you ever listen to this podcast. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for what you put out there. You said in an interview once before a fight that if you can change, if one person says to you, you changed my life or you got me into Muay Thai or you, you know, you motivated me to, to, to sign up for my first fight or whatever it might be, that's amazing. Well, you motivate me, you changed my life and I truly appreciate what you put out there because it's benefited me, benefited my wife and my children for the better. So thank you. So this is Kevin Ross. This is Perspective. What you see depends not only what you look at, but also on where you look from. James Deacon. Kevin writes, So many people trying to figure out what the right versus wrong thing to say is, who the correct person to vote in, whose rights they should stand up for. So caught up in playing this game that they have completely lost sight in who they really are and what they truly believe in. But can you blame them? Many just don't know what to do anymore. They don't want to pick a side because they see the negatives to all sides. So they try to stay neutral and choose to say nothing. But that in itself can be mistaken as a statement and demonized. Too many assumptions, no one speaking truth, and nothing but games being played. We live in a world full of smoke and mirrors, where true motives and intentions are hidden behind the veil. The truth of the matter is that the majority of people can and do find a balance and a compromise with one another. Even if that is as simple as, I don't believe what you do, but I respect and value your rights to have your own beliefs. Unfortunately, we are forced onto warring sides. You are either with us or against us and have lost the ability to have respectful debates. We are going down a slippery slope to enslavement of all our freedoms. We live in a world where something can be taken completely out of context, even worse if it was ages ago, and then shine a condemning spotlight on it to align with a cause. Ironically, we judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions. The thing with freedom is, that in order for us to be free to think, speak, support, and practice our own beliefs, we also must allow others to do the same, even if they contradict our own. Would we really want it any other way? Would we really want to live in a world where everyone looks, acts, believes in, and behaves the exact same way as we do? Why do we think that our side is the right side? And I think that's really the heart, not only of of this point that he's initially making, but what I see on social media in particular. I don't see people engaged with each other, whether they see something posted on social media, then they'll DM that person and ask questions or start up a dialogue. It's, I'm going online to be right, to prove that I'm right, to surround myself with people who tell me I'm right. And everyone who disagrees with me is wrong. It's like I talked about in the previous episode about your identity being tied up in your opinions. 
if my identity is tied up with my opinions, then when I say that's a bad idea, what I'm, what you hear is that's a bad, you're a bad person. But if you get two people whose identity is tied up in their opinions, now you have two people who are hearing from the other side, you're bad, you're a bad person, you're an evil person, you're stupid, you're weak, you're a loser, you're a sheeple. And when two sides are hurling accusations back and forth at each other, it's because both sides believe they're right. But more importantly, they believe they're right because they have to be. It's tied up with their identity and how they determine meaning and how they define their, the purpose of their life. I can't be wrong because if I'm wrong, that means that as a person, I'm wrong. That means the meaning, the purpose, the goal of my life is wrong. And I simply can't live with that. My ego won't let me consider that I might actually be wrong or at the very least, not entirely right. For example, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor, but I'm also a fighter. Many people find that an incompatible contradiction. That I fight in Muay Thai and I fight in Jiu Jitsu. And yet I'm a Christian. How can you be a Christian and turn the other cheek and yet be a fighter? Well, do you want me to explain it to you? Because it's a very nuanced conversation. It's about 2,000 years old, actually, the conversation. There's been literally over almost 1,800 years worth of debate about this conversation. It's informed all of Western history, going back to St. Augustine, who pretty much put forward the theory of just war and conflict being benevolent severity. What is benevolent severity? Is there a time and a place for violence in order to protect others? And is it justifiable violence? Is there a time when loving your neighbor means that you're going to have to put someone down on the ground and even kill them in an armed conflict? And if you don't train for the conflict, if you don't train for that inevitable fight, then how can you claim that you're loving your neighbor? If you own a handgun, but you never train with the gun, if you own a tactical knife, but never train with the knife, if you have elbows and fists and knees and feet, but you never train, you just watch videos on YouTube, you're not properly trained to defend yourself and other people. You're not properly trained to stay calm and relaxed in a fight and to not only take responsibility for the person you're defending and protecting, but take responsibility for the person who is attacking that person so that we can all get out of this alive and relatively unharmed or not, depending on the conflict and whether it's armed combat or not. If you don't train, how can you be prepared for that conflict, for that moment of violence? So you have to train in violence if you want peace. That's the dichotomy of simple, of just being a human being, being in the world. It's simple reality. I was saying to my wife on the way home, it's ironic that I'm drawn to violence and yet people find me helpful in guiding them to a peaceful place in their life. It is a dichotomy and yet because I'm trained in violence and I'm comfortable with violence, I am a person that seeks peace, peace of mind, peace in my soul, peace in my house, my community, in the world, because I understand the consequences of violence. I've felt the consequences of violence. And it's one thing to choose to put yourself in a position where you are exposed to violence. But for most other people, they don't choose to put themselves out there to receive violence, to 
to participate in conflict. I think it's a calling to want to fight, to train to fight, to train to go into combat. I think it is a calling because I've seen plenty of people who are interested in Muay Thai or Jiu Jitsu. I've seen plenty of people who have signed up for fights who dropped out before the fight ever happened and they declined their membership, they canceled their membership rather than come back to the gym and admit, I lost my nerve. But this, I think, leads to an even deeper point and it's something that I've been chewing on a lot lately. In Thailand, they have a saying that every man is born with two hearts, a heart of fear and a heart of bravery. And every time you get in the ring as a fighter, you have to essentially cage your heart of fear so that the heart of bravery can take over and dominate in that moment. Otherwise, if you allow that heart of fear to overcome and dominate you, you're going to lose the fight before you even get in the ring. I've been through that. I've talked about it on this podcast. Others I know have been through it too. If you're going to compete at the amateur or professional level, you, at the amateur or professional level, you're going to inevitably be confronted by that fearful heart. And I think for all of us who do this, we've all been overcome by that at one point or another and been disgusted by it, been sickened by it, and made up our mind that is never going to happen to me again. But this goes to what I'm saying is that we chose to expose ourselves to that moment. We chose to get in the ring. We chose to walk onto the mats. We chose to enter the battlefield. And what we learn about ourselves and about others, about reality in general, is that if you want peace, you have to be trained in violence. Because those who are violent for the sake of being violent, they don't understand or comprehend the consequence of violence until it's too late. They like to perpetrate violence, but then when confronted with someone who's trained in violence, they wilt and they run away. And they accuse you of being a bully, or they accuse you of being the perpetrator of a crime, or whatever it might be. So I think what's important in the point that Kevin makes here is, if we wake up in the morning, or we go on social media, or we enter into a conversation regardless of whether it's people who agree or disagree with us, if the whole point of our life or this exchange or this conversation is, I'm going to prove that I'm right, and anyone who disagrees is wrong, then I think that's why you can see why our country is so divided, and that's why people are so anxious and fearful, and why a culture of shame, a negative culture of shame, has pretty much taken over on social media in the media in general, corporate mainstream media, and in our societies. We're ashamed to talk to each other. We're ashamed to make eye contact. We're ashamed to say certain words. We're ashamed of our skin color. We're ashamed of our gender. We're ashamed of where we came from. We're ashamed of who we are. Versus, I'm going to expose myself to something. Like I said earlier, I don't necessarily know what the consequences will be. But I know this is necessary for me to move forward, to grow as a human being, as a man. Because I don't want to be on the right side of anything other than my relationship to my God. But as a Christian then, when I encounter people of different faiths or different beliefs, yes, I disagree with them. That's kind of the point of my faith. And those people, if they're honest and they're devout, 
they're going to say, yeah, I totally disagree with you as a Christian. You're totally wrong about the Jesus thing. As long as you have a logical argument, even though I disagree with your conclusions, I'm still going to respect the fact that you're a thoughtful person and you took the time to sit down and have a conversation with me about what both of us believe so that in some strange way, even though we may end up disagreeing, we're still leaving the conversation bettered by the conversation. I have friends who are atheists. I have friends that are Buddhists. I have friends that are Jewish. I have friends across the spectrum of beliefs. And we get along great because they respect me as a Christian man because I've earned their respect by being thoughtful, by being kind, by being humble enough to ask their opinion, ask why they think the way they think, or just explaining myself to them why I believe what I believe. But I don't enter into it saying, oh, you're an atheist? Well, you're a moron. You have nothing to teach me. You have nothing to say to me that I want to hear. You're a godless believer, you know, unbeliever. If that's the point of life, to just prove that you're right all the time, you're the right kind of religion, the right kind of, of gender, the right kind of skin color, the right kind of anything, you tend to engage in relationships that are based in shame and fear because you're always afraid that you might be proven wrong, which is why you always have to prove that you're right to other people. That's ego. In Christianity, we call that straight up original sin, just straight up self-centeredness, selfishness, self-seeking, because that's really what it means to want to be right all the time. You're selfish. You're self-centered. You're self-seeking. You are purely ego-driven in psychological terms. But in my experience, those are the most neurotic, anxious, fearful kinds of people who are constantly projecting out onto other people who they want to be seen as, but the only person that can see that they're a fraud, you know, the only person that can't see what we all see is the person projecting. It's like, we see you're a fraud. We see that you're not being real. The only person that doesn't see that is you. You're not fooling anybody. So, for example, he points out, our country is the right country. Our president's the right president. Our religion, our gender, our belief system is right. Oh, there you go. I didn't read ahead, and we covered the same ground. Do we not understand that everyone else looks at their views being just as valid, justified, important, and right as our own? How many people throughout history do you honestly think looked at themselves and their actions as evil or wrong? As I've said numerous times, Adolf Hitler got up every morning believing that what he was doing was good for himself, for the German people, and for the world. He loved his job. Loved it. Every dictator is an idealist, and idealists make the best dictators. Because in order to make your ideas reality, eventually you're going to run into somebody or some group of people who disagree with your ideas. And that's where force comes into play. That's where you have to make people conform to your idea of what reality should be or must be. That's why dictatorships and totalitarian governments are so violent and deadly. Because if you disagree and we can't re-educate you, we've got to eliminate you. Go check out the story of the desaparecidos in Argentina that disappeared in Argentina in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's a tragic story of how all of these children ended up with all of these different military and political families because their parents were murdered. They were disappeared. They were drugged. 
They were taken up in a helicopter. They were, had their hands and feet tied behind their back, and then they were pushed out of the helicopter into a river, and they drowned. This happens over and over and over again. In the name of God, it happens. In the name of country, it happens. In the name of an idea, this happens. There's an amazing tendency that we as human beings have that we refuse to acknowledge that utopian visions almost always end up being apocalyptic realities. We think that this utopian idea that exists in our mind, when it becomes a reality, will make the world a better place. And yet every idealist who's reached a level of power and influence where they've been able to enact their ideas, it's always ended up catastrophically. It becomes this apocalyptic reality. And yet every generation says what? Well, we can do it better. They didn't do it the right way. That's the arrogance that every generation carries with it as a birthright. We can do it better. But how many people actually, throughout all of history, how many people actually thought that what they were doing was evil or wrong? And what makes us believe then, Kevin continues, what makes us believe that we get to decide which is which? The majority of the time we justify our stances and behaviors with our own rationalizations believing that our side is the only legitimate and just one has led to a multitude of issues throughout humanity, religion, politics, gender, race, and just about everything else. It is all too easy to demonize someone or something when you have never been in their shoes or experienced those situations on every side of the coin. Going back to my example, the reason that I can sympathize with atheists is because I was an atheist until I was 24. And then I was pretty much a deist until I was 28. I understand unbelief. I understand the struggle to believe in God. I understand the struggle to come to a specific, definite kind of confession of faith in a particular God. Therefore, when I listen to other people express themselves to me and say, well, I don't believe, or I'm confused, or I question my beliefs, or I'm not quite sure, I've been there. I sympathize. Whereas I see other people who haven't gone through that experience, and they, they tend to even when they try to sympathize, it's difficult for them because they've just never walked in those shoes before. It's like I just talked to somebody this past week. Unless you've been abused growing up, it's pretty difficult to explain to someone how it is that I can walk into a room, 100 people in that room, and I'll find the addict and the abuse victim in that room immediately. We find each other. It's like we put off a pheromone or something. It's inexplicable. But if you put me in a room with someone who's been abused, and I've been physically abused, my wife was sexually abused, you put someone in a room that's been abused, I will find them in a millisecond. In a blink of an eye, I'll spot them. Same thing with addicts. That's why when I'm teaching or I'm training at the gym, I can tell you immediately who's coming into that gym who's dealing with addiction or who's dealing with codependency issues based on abuse, whether in the past or in the present tense. Because if you've been through it, you know what the signs are. You know what to look for in the body language, the tilt of the head, the downcast eyes, the way they hold themselves, their shoulders, the way they speak. There's just all of these red flags that go off that say, oh, I recognize your eyes. Like I talked about with my mom in the last episode. You just learn to recognize those folks because they're from your tribe. And maybe that's why I resonate with a guy like Kevin Ross. Go listen to the Rogan podcast where he talks about his own abuse and his own struggles with, with substance abuse. And even that proves my confirmation bias then, 
based on what we're reading because I'm drawn towards people who have been through similar experiences to me. They tend to talk like I talk and think like I think. When I go on Instagram and I look at Kevin's Instagram feed, like my first thought is, get out of my head, man. <laughs> like where we, like we must have rolled off the exact same assembly line because you think what I'm thinking. You're expressing what I would like to express. But I find that with a lot of addicts. I find that with a lot of people who are abused. But I can't then, and I used to do this actually, I used to judge people that weren't abused or weren't addicts more harshly when they failed or tripped and fell or struggled with something than if you were an addict. I used to give addicts a free pass. I'm like, oh man, you know what? Let me help you out. Let me, let me give you some money. Let me take you out for coffee. Let me pick you up. Let me can bail you out, whatever it might be. Because I had been there and nobody came for me. But then if you hadn't gone through that, I wasn't as empathetic. I wasn't as compassionate. And I had to learn that that was a great failing on my part. That was arrogance. That was ego. And that what's good for the goose is good for the gander, so to speak. And that I was judging people inequitably. I wasn't judging people equally and using the same scales. And as a consequence, I would demonize people that hadn't suffered as much as I've suffered, which isn't fair. They didn't choose to not be abused growing up. They didn't choose to go down the path of substance abuse like I did. Why am I judging them for that? Well, because I envy them, of course. And that's what I couldn't admit at the time, is I envied them. And because I envied them, I wanted to diminish them, to drive them away because they were a mirror. And when I looked at them, I saw my abuse, my struggles with substance and recovery and sobriety, and I resented their existence. But I didn't really resent them. I resented myself. And that's what that mirror that was held up to me, that's what it showed me. I don't resent them. I resent myself. I'm not demonizing them. I don't believe I'm worthy of love and respect. I don't believe I'm worthy of compassion and mercy. So I'm going to put myself in situations to kind of self-fulfilling prophecy to hurt myself, to hurt other people, because that's what I think I deserve, and therefore other people need to receive the same punishment that I want to dish out to myself. But if I can take that step back and detach from myself for a moment and recognize everybody's going through their own struggles, everybody's got their challenges, everybody's got their fears and anxieties, nobody's got a perfect life. Nobody really has it figured out. And the older I get, the more I understand. I don't understand anything. I don't know anything. In relation to everything that's ever happened and all of the knowledge that's ever existed, I know nothing. Nothing. But like I've said, there's so much freedom in that. And acknowledging, yeah, I don't, I don't really know anything. <laughs> and the things that I do know, I can't build a cabinet. I can't wire a house. I can kind of weld. I can drive a nail. But I'm not a contractor. I'm only good at two things. <laughs> and that's questionable. But when we demonize someone or something... It's usually because we refuse to put ourselves in their shoes. We refuse to walk a mile in their shoes. And then that heart of fear takes over. And that fear blossoms into anger and anxiety and shame and diminishing and dehumanizing and turning that someone into something that they're not. Because we refuse to see and accept them as they are, even if we don't like what we see. So as Denzel 
Washington said, we are either uninformed or misinformed, and it only seems to be getting worse. We are bombarded 24-7 with a constant stream of information, the majority of which is bought and paid for. So how are you ever supposed to take anything as factual? Skewed perspectives in politics, laws, the medical industry, nutrition, education, and keep going down the list. As in so many facets of this life, we need to take and seek out the information that we can on all sides and come to our own conclusions, to think freely and rationally. But unfortunately, if you do so, you tend to be demonized unless you are on the right side. Anyone who questions the narrative is typically looked down upon, shamed, canceled, criminalized, sometimes even killed, like the man in Detroit. When did we lose the ability to question and debate what we are told? Why can't we ask why anymore? When did we stop discussing things and understanding that other opinions are important and valid? They will either solidify our prior beliefs or give us a different perspective and possibly change our minds. Instead, we now have people playing characters in a game, saying and doing things, not because they truly believe in them, but because it is what the popular opinion at the time says they are supposed to. We would rather have comfortable lies than blunt truth. It is so important to, at the very least, occasionally question our own beliefs and perspectives. I just talked about this again this week with somebody. They came to me and said they've really been struggling with their faith. They've been doubting. They've been confused by what they believe. And that worried them. And I had to explain, if you never struggle with belief, if you never struggle with faith, then you probably don't have faith. Because how can you believe in something you don't see and never question its existence? I never question my children's love because I see it in their face when they look at me. But I question God's love almost every day because I look at my children's face and I see that love and I wonder, is that the love of God? shown to me through my children? Is that God at work in my children to show me a greater love, an unconditional love? Or is it just my kids and I'm just projecting? When bad things happen, when I struggle and fall, when I get too deep inside my own mind, I'm a creative, I'm an artist, I'm a musician. I get lost in my own mind pretty easy. That's why I train so much. I'm in the gym five days a week, training two to three hours most days, in order to force myself to become disciplined in the way that I think, to be able to cage and leash my emotions, and to discipline my body, to beat my body into the shape that I want it to be in, and all of the things that come with Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu. But higher than that, more than that, the reason I have to do it, I need to do it, is because if I don't, my mind starts to spin up like a jet engine, I start thinking, I know this is probably a shock to anyone who's listened to this podcast, I am thinking as soon as my eyes open in the morning and they don't stop thinking until I pass out and go to sleep at the end of the day. And then when I go to sleep, I'm dreaming all night long, every day. My mind never stops. So for me, combat martial arts is how I discipline my mind, empty my mind, kill my ego, get into that flow state so that when I leave the gym after two, three, four hours, I'm empty. 
and the brain waves are a little flatter than they were when I went in. And I'm calm and I'm relaxed and I have peace. And then when I encounter other people, you know what? The conflict, not that terrible. The catastrophe, not that big of a crisis. What you're worried about, hey man, let's sit down and talk it out. Let's think this through. Let's walk it out. Let's walk it through. I was just talking to my wife about this. You meet people who are like Buzz in Toy Story at the beginning, where he he doesn't believe he's a toy. And Woody pushes the red button on Buzz's, um, his uh, outfit, his uniform. What's the word? You know what I'm talking about. And he pushes the red button and the bubble that supposedly you know, protects Buzz from the uh, atmosphere outside of him. His suit, thank you, spacesuit, jeepers. Like I said, I'm tired. It flips back, and Buzz starts to gasp. He grabs his throat, and then he realizes he can breathe the oxygen. I meet people every day that are like Buzz in that movie where they have that bubble over their head, and they have this suit, this protective armor that they wrap themselves in because they're so afraid, so anxious, so ashamed of who they are that they're afraid to even step foot outside. They're afraid to breathe the air. It's as if they don't know what an immune system is. No one's ever taught them how to strengthen their immune system, to boost their immune system. No one's talked to them about how to get the right kind of sleep at night or how to achieve the right kind of sleep at night. No one's talked to them about mindfulness or how to eat healthy versus unhealthy or how to surround yourself with positive, healthy, constructive relationships instead of unhealthy, damaging relationships that are toxic, that hurt you. It's as if no one's ever told them these things because it turns out, yeah, they've actually not been told about these things. When I talked about my time in Mexico a couple podcasts ago, I said I met people who didn't know how old they were. They didn't know their age. They didn't know what year they were born because they were never taught how to read or write. They were never taught that they had any inherent value as a human being outside of their utility as someone who picks fruit. They don't need to know how old they are. They need to pick fruit. They don't need to know how to read and write. They need to know how to work from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day. Their purpose, their goal in life, and the meaning of their life is to pick fruit and die. But yet, from the outside coming in from my background, you wonder, well, how can you possibly not know your age? But then if you step back and think about it, why does it matter if you know how old you are? So many people allow their age on their birth certificate to define them as a person. Well, you're 49 years old, Donovan. You shouldn't be doing those things. Well, I am. But you might get hurt. True, I might get hurt. I might hurt my toe walking through the kitchen if I stub it. I might trip over something and fall and break my shoulder. I might get cancer. I might get leukemia. I might get the coronavirus. I might get Alzheimer's dementia. I might. But you know what? Today, I'm not. And that's definitive fact. That's simple reality. I don't live with what if. I don't embrace what if. I look at the past and I learn from it without regrets. I look to the future, I hope, but I don't plant my flag there because it doesn't exist yet. It's not real. What I want to know is what's real in the present tense. I'm not going to be Buzz Lightyear in his spacesuit, rejecting the idea 
put forward by another toy, I'm a toy. I want to know who I am in point of fact, in simple fact. Not who I think I am. Not who I imagine myself to be. Not who I want other people to be, to, to perceive me to be. I want to know who I am in fact. And I want people around me who aren't afraid to tell me who I am in simple fact. Good, bad, ugly, all of it. It is so important, at the very least, occasionally, to question our own beliefs and perspectives. How do we even know what it is that we truly believe in if we never look at what it actually is with an unbiased lens? So many of us just fall in line with what we are told, what we are brought up to believe and never question it. And if anyone ever does, then they must be the enemy. It can be an uncomfortable and painful thing to have the things that you are brought up and led to believe in questioned. But there can be no change or progression without discomfort. Regardless of what it is or where it came from, everything has been handed down by human beings, and human beings are flawed. Every last one of us is. We make mistakes, either intentionally or accidental. We have ulterior motives, skewed perspectives. And not only that, times change. What is right today was thought of as wrong and illegal not so long ago. The view of the world is ever-changing. Some for the better, some for the worse. But change is the one thing that you can be certain of, regardless of how slow. Letting another have their own beliefs does not mean that it takes away yours. Someone else's rights do not discount our own. If more of us stood up for each other from the beginning, as we should have, so many of these issues would not even be here today. So before you jump to a conclusion and align with a side, take a step back. Put yourself in someone else's shoes. Think about these situations happening to you or someone that you love and care for. At the very least, it should give you a more balanced perspective on most situations. Love, compassion, and understanding will free us all. Don't just teach your children to read. Teach them to question what they read. Teach them to question everything. George Carlin. The end. And that is Perspective by Kevin Ross, the Soul Assassin. So there you go. Like I said, he's a beautiful human being. He's articulate. I like how he expresses himself. Thank you, Kevin, for writing this. Thank you for expressing so much better than I possibly could what I've wanted to express for a while now. Thank you for what you put out into the world. Thank you for what you've done for me and for my family. Thank you for what you've done for all of us by being so honest and humble and open and sharing stories about your life, your abuse, your struggles, because it has encouraged me to be a much more, uh, to be a much more forward-moving fighter <laughs> But also, it's encouraged me to be a more humble person and to be a more open and honest person and to strive for that on a daily basis. So that, like you said, if just one person says to me, you know what? You changed my life. That's one of the most amazing statements that anybody can ever make to another human being. And I think in our own way, every one of us, every day, if we were shown all the people that we've actually affected for the better, for the good, we'd be stunned 
because we get so bogged down in stinking thinking, as we talk about in recovery, so bogged down in what we've done wrong, the mistakes we've made, the bad habits we've developed. We beat ourselves up because that's the downward path. That's the easy path. And let's just be honest. There's not a lot of people around us usually who want to build us up. They want to build themselves up by tearing us down. So surround yourself with people that build you up so that you're set free to build them up. Surround yourself with people who are more focused on being united and helping each other and carrying each other than people who are focused on being divided and tearing each other down and tearing things apart. Seek out and surround yourself with people who are loving and compassionate and understanding because those are the people that will set you free. And in that freedom, you will strive to be that loving, compassionate, understanding person that not only is willing to stand up and fight for someone that you may not even agree with, but because they're a human being and they're being attacked and you've prepared for that moment, you're going to stand up and you're going to say to the other person, you know what, if somebody's going to die today, it'll be me. I'm willing to do that for you because that's what I'm here for. So be a light in the darkness. Help people up. Set people free. Because to me anyways, that's what it means to be a warrior. I don't fight so that I can beat people up. I fight so that I can protect those who are the weakest and the most vulnerable. Because when I was bullied when I was little, when I was pushed around and abused by men when I was little, there was nobody there to stand up for me. There was nobody there to stand between me and my dad or my uncles or whoever. There was nobody to pick me up and say, lean on me, I'll carry you until you can walk on your own. There was nobody who came into the darkness and shined a light on me and showed me the way out. But by the grace of God, I'm here. By the grace of God, I find and connect with these other people who are light for me, who are amazing. And so this is me shining a light into the darkness, saying there are people out there who are loving and compassionate and understanding. Pray, seek them out. They're there. I'm here. I'm here for you right now. But don't give up. Don't quit. It's not hopeless. It's never hopeless. We're here. There's other people listening to you that are just like you, just like me, just like Kevin, just like all the people I've talked about on this podcast so far. We're here. We're all here. And we may not all be in the same location. We may not be able to drop by each other's house all the time, but we're here. Take strength from that. All right, that's all I got for this week. Thank you so very much for your time and attention. I know it's valuable and I appreciate it. If you want to share the podcast, if you want to support me, go to Anchor FM and click the support button. If you want me to read anything or talk about anybody or you have any questions for me, shoot me a DM. Usually on Instagram is the easiest way to get a hold of me. I stay off of Facebook as much as possible. But otherwise, thank you. Thank you. I love you. And I'll talk to you again soon. Peace.